motorcycles and misfits but we are not at the recycle garage or in santa cruz we are at the jameson motorcycle museum here in pacific road the famous infamous and and it's not sunny either so (laughs) but it would be pg if it was sunny that'd be a problem so yeah so we're we've, we've talked about the jameson motorcycle museum we are glad to be here and we are surrounded by bikes and cool people Yes. So let's cool uh, find out who is here running the board tonight. We've got Zach. I exist. Next up, we've got Naked Jim. I break bolts. I don't know why they're calling you Hard Pipe. I'm just going to call you Charlie. Hard Hi. Pipe makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, joining us again is Ryan. Yeah, the new guy. The new guy. With pecs. The that muscle, guy. The, the muscle hamster. <laughs> <laughs> and next to me, I got Bagel. Yes, the destroyer of scooters. Did I mention? It's me. It's Liza. Yay. <laughs> Next to me, I got Mary. Hi. Mary Muffins. Mary Muffins. <laughs> and then we got Fruit Loop. Skinny Muffins. <laughs> and then right in the captain's chair, we got Neil. Good afternoon. Welcome. And then next to that, we got Bob. Bob with two O's, but the first O is silent. (laughs) (laughs) Is that spelled boob? Thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) I don't think any of us wanted to to say that. Be like, oh, so, uh," we're like, okay, cool. (laughs) And and, and trolling about is Emma. Give us a shout, Emma. Well, hey, guys. (laughs) There she is. (laughs) Emma will be joining us, but she's got a lot of uh, patrons here who are... Fascinated by her stories, and we don't want to take her away from them. Patrons first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plus, I don't think you can sit still for two minutes anyway. No, probably not. So, so again, Neil, thanks for having us down here. We love this place, and we spent a couple, you know, Saturdays just hanging out down here just to hear the stories and um, being surrounded by all these bikes. And let's just rattle off some of these these bikes that are here. We got Harleys, BMWs. There's a Penton over there. Uh, Suzuki, Husqvarna, Vincent. Is, Vincent. This HRV is, one. Is there anything there. that isn't represented here, Neil? There's a CZ. Uh, I do not have my Ducati down here, or my Moto Guzzi. <gasps> you have other Italians here. <gasps> Ooh, I'm starting to see. Quick a, inventory. Well, there are a couple of Vespas in the back. Okay, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes. Then we have to mention the uh, the scooter slash moped slash mini bike slash trial bike. Trial bike, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything else. Um, so Neil, let's let's find out how you started doing this. How long have you had this museum? I'm on my fourth year now. And it just happened. It was not planned or looking forward to it or anything like that. <laughs> I had um, approximately 20 of these motorcycles in my living room, kitchen, and entryway <laughs> and uh, for approximately 20-plus years. And when this building became available, uh, it turned the purchase turned into a real ordeal, but ultimately here we are. So, and it's a non-profit educational museum for people to come in, see the bikes, enjoy them, ask questions, take pictures. I have the old original shop manuals and schematics, etc., in the library here in the back, and we can photocopy them so people can go home and reproduce, restore their own bikes. 
Mm. You do, and you have also a nice collection of posters and accessories and toys and knickknacks. Jackets. And some of those jackets. cool leather jackets you have. Oh, yeah. Just vintage gear. I love it. What's the oldest bike you have here? The one right behind you. It's a 1913 Harley. It is a belt drive, uh, also a chain-started belt drive, single cylinder. It um, is not restored. It is just cleaned, and uh, everything is checked and rebuilt on it that had to be done, and it runs. We call that barn, oh, barn fresh. Well, originally somebody had purchased it years ago and painted it, and of course that was not original, so went through a lot of grief to completely strip the bike down to the original patina, and that's what it is now. And then what's one of the newest bikes you have here? Newest. That would probably be the 2007 uh, Triumph Bonneville. And it looks like the 67 Bonneville that's parked alongside of. And that's the reason I have it, to show the evolution of what Triumph has done and become with the new bikes and still making them retro in appearance, but ultra-reliable and good handling. And best of all, when you have a bad hip, they have an electric start. <laughs> <laughs> and so which one's your favorite? All of them. <laughs> that, was a, that was a trick question. I didn't think well, you'd fall for that. <laughs> yeah. Originally, I had a few favorites, but when you finally reach 70 motorcycles, you have one for each event. So I have a favorite for each event, and that's how that goes. Um, I still have a few home in my living room, and uh, they're nice to sit on, drink beer, and watch old movies. <laughs> Can I, can I you, come over? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> do you have a favorite event for your favorite motorcycle? Or do you just like all the events, too? Well, there are so many events here in California, especially mm. on Monterey Bay, uh, from Half Moon Bay down to San Luis Obispo. Uh, it's unending. They're all great. They're all wonderful. Probably the most prestigious is the quail, uh, which yep. will be coming up shortly. And I started doing the quail... Uh, from Las Vegas. So it originated back in New York at the Guggenheim Museum. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, really? And then they moved it to Las Vegas. And then from Las Vegas, it went to Half Moon Bay uh, out there on the ocean. And we had a really fancy, high-class uh, motorcycle show out on the lawns. That was the legend of the motorcycle. Yes. Yep. Mm. And I did that for yeah. a few years, and then, uh, you know, family problems, political things, money, blah, blah, blah. They discontinued it, and then they started up at the quail a few years later, and so I've been doing the quail every year since then. But the British Motorcycle Show over at Santa Clara County Fairgrounds, uh, the last weekend in March every year, the Clubman Show, which is a BSA owner's group, puts on a really extravagant motorcycle show. There's four buildings. One is all British. Second building is all European. Third building is now all Japanese. Mm -hmm. And the fourth building is an indoor flat track. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Yep. I know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of yeah. What's the what's the key to getting in on that trail, the the Aquail ride? How soon do you have to At least a year in advance and you have to have something worthy. Okay. So you gotta be in the know to get on that quail ride. Well, 
you just keep entering the quail and uh, you come up with a significant bike and of course uh, they will you know vote you in so how long have you been riding I started at 14 I had um, the original rat bike it was a 48 triumph 500 rigid smoking oil leaking <laughs> fire it was a rat bike beyond relief, but that was my bike. It was. Uh, did you get that real cheap and fix it up kind yeah. of deal? Oh well, of course. <laughs> and of course, I wasn't allowed to have a motorcycle. My parents uh, would really have gone uh, over the edge with that one. So of course, I kept it next door at Jimmy's house, and <laughs> it was Jimmy's bike, and he just let me ride it once in a while, and they were okay with that. I did that too. I parked mine down at the end of the street. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how did you? At what point did you start amassing this collection, or were you always somebody who went for quantity? No, no, no. It just happened. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to how I started collecting. Um, Oh, and I came back in Vietnam in 63, and all of my old high school buddies and that were all riding Triumphs and BSAs, and they were all converted to dirt bikes at that time. And so, of course, I went and got a 63 Triumph TT Special, put on the knobbies and the seat and, you know, all the modifications we did to make them into what people are calling a street scrambler, uh, mm -hmm. street tracker, street scrambler, whatever today. And um, did that for several years. So at the end of the year, we would clean the bike up and sell it and buy a new one in Philly Kinsella's uh, Triumph dealership on 13th uh, in Old Oakland Road in San Jose. He would sell them to us in the crate for about $900. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. So, and of course, you had to sell the one you had to buy the new one. So I never did get to collect any of them. And then finally... Um, I got enough money when I went to work for the fire department that uh, I could have two bikes, dirt bike Ooh. and street bike. Ooh. Oh, big time, yeah. And then I stopped selling them. <laughs> we know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like, I like, I like the, uh, having a bike for every occasion. So we know what your first bike was. What was your first dirt bike? Uh, my 63 TT Special. Nice. Is it still here then? No. I lost it, and that's one of my biggest upsets. Yeah, I had a 63, 4, and 5, and they're all gone. So I, Jim and I recently watched the Penton documentary just to get yes. a little more knowledge and appreciation for the bikes. Because I'll admit, I go to museums like this, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of old dirt bikes over in the corner. I really didn't know much about them. Now I have a much bigger appreciation. And you actually have a Penton here, which is pretty cool. Yes. So are, are any of these bikes bikes that you have ridden in the dirt? Have you, have you ridden them hard, as Mike would say? Okay, do you cruise them? And how hard do you cruise them? <laughs> well, all of my triumphs back in the old days, we did uh, uh, TT track, which is a dirt track, nine turns and a jump. And we did hare and hound and a few of the other type of races here up and down California. And uh, that slowly but surely evolved into Enduros. Uh, one year I went down and tried the desert, uh, scared the shit out of myself, <laughs> and uh, decided that was not for me. 85 miles an hour hitting pucker bushes out there in the sand <laughs> was just terrifying. 
and at the same time, people are going by me doing 100. Wow. So, you know, you might as well just pack up and go home. All right, you guys, I'm about to really impress you now. Neil, how many times have you crossed the Alps? Uh, last count was 42 times on a motorcycle. Nice. Oh, God. Yeah. I have yet to do that once. <laughs> Someday. Why, why so many times? Is this one of your your favorite roads? Well, of course, but I'd gone 44 times if I had more time. <laughs> you know, and the fat lady hasn't sung yet, so there's always a chance. What bikes were you riding on the Alps? Uh, Beamer GSs. What and what like what years are we talking here? Um, what what centuries? <laughs> Two thousand and four. What you just went back and forth? Well, I spent a week over there, eight days actually. Me and six friends all met in Frankfurt, and we rented bikes uh, at the local uh, bike rental place. We all rented uh, GSs. A couple of them rented sport bikes, you know, crotch rockets. And we used a GPS, and we transversed the Alps uh, 42 times, <laughs> and quite a few other times, just back and forth for lunch or, or whatever. And we did cow trails, dirt trails, uh, big fancy freeways. We went through the tunnels, little two-lane roads, rode snow, rode fog. Uh, we rode everything that was there, and then at night we would stay at the trekkers' lodges up on top of the Alps, and uh, you'd have a really good hot shower and breakfast in the morning. And uh, the, the trekkers and the motorcyclists all kind of intermingle. Uh, it was a wonderful trip. <laughs> wow! Nice. Yeah, did about 2,500 miles in eight days. Uh, crossing the Alps back and forth and then when we left uh, France and, and we're heading back for uh, Frankfurt we of course all jumped onto the uh, Autobahn and all uh, we all did a ton and a half plus uh, <laughs> which uh, even a big heavy uh, BMW starts to float when you get past 150. So Ken for those who don't know <laughs> so. can you explain what doing the ton is? Well the ton is a hundred Hmm. miles per hour not kilometers because we're doing 200 to 20 uh, kilometers and believe it or not people were passing us oh yeah in their ferraris <laughs> <Wow>. and porsches <laughs> yeah big mercedes <laughs> yeah big mercedes were absolutely amazing oh yeah so what would you say has been your your biggest achievement trip that you've done well, that's a difficult one because I've done so many, but I, the Beamer right down there with the real crusty uh, engine and everything on it, I rode it feet up to the Arctic Circle and back, <laughs> camping all the way. Nice. Uh, Are you guys catching the this? Arctic Circle? <laughs> You're like, eh, I'm kind of bored this yeah. weekend. I think I'll ride San Luis Obispo. No, nah, I think I'll go to the Arctic Circle. So, okay, <laughs> time out. What, what model BMW is this? Uh, that's an R75. And it's the old short frame uh, four-speed. And what year did you go to the Arctic? That year was uh, 72. And it was all dirt. There was no pavement in those days. It was yep. dirt, mud, and gravel. So, like, how long of a trek is that? I don't even know. Where'd you leave from? And yeah. Is this up through Canada? or? I left from the firehouse at San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> had a good pancake breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was a firefighter, and I took two years vacation back-to-back. -back. I left Sunday morning at 8 o'clock when the bell hit, 
and I was gone two months. And I don't remember for sure the total miles, but um, it probably in excess of 12,000. And how do you know when to turn around? <laughs> the end of the road. <laughs> With a bear. So Lots did, of bears. So did you go all the way to Prudhoe Bay? No. Okay. Just um, a little town called Williams or Willis or something like that. Wait, wow. Willis, that's in Northern California. Are you sure you yeah. just didn't get drunk one say, day? Yeah, dude. <laughs> drunk, the perpetual drink for two months. You got lost up in Shasta Mountain, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I did the big double loop. I went through the Yukon Northwest Territories. Nice. I completely traversed uh, Alaska. And then I rode down Kenai Peninsula all the way down, camped fish, uh, steward, and uh, all the little towns down there. I ended up in uh, an old abandoned gold mining town at the very tip. And uh, it was absolutely wonderful. People, everything about it was great. little cold sometimes. And uh, one of the biggest blessings on that trip is two weeks before I got there, they had a major freeze and it killed all the bugs. Nice. Because mosquitoes and flies and gnats are oh, just killer yes. up there. Yeah. Yep. So I was fortunate there. Well, weren't you cold? Well, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're talking about freezes enough to kill all the bugs, but you just kept going. Did you have any uh, mechanical problems? No, that old Beamer fired up every morning. But I had to, of course, use both the kickstart and the electric start in conjunction uh, to get it going. That's just re- that's crazy. So do you have any other trips planned to do someday or...? Oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. well, what's the, what's the next another adventure you still want to do? Uh, you know, I, I've got so many of them, and I'm running out of time. So we're just going to have to wait and see which one the opportunity presents itself. So nice. Yeah. So you also have a thing for sidecars. Yes. Now. So some of us here, not, not some of these people, are too new to motorcycling to know how stupid sidecars are. <laughs> you're, this obsession with sidecars now, you're doing some crazy stuff on sidecars, aren't you? Well, I have five of them, and um, I have several different types. I have an equaling up here in the front, where the motorcycle and the sidecar are articulated. So you ride the motorcycle like a motorcycle. Yeah. It leans over, goes around the curves, everything just like riding the bike. That's the really sidecar cool. is mm-hmm. like a X-15 rocket ship cacks, uh, capsule. Yeah. And um, it doesn't have a seat. It has a sling. You lay down in it. So, <laughs> And if you're claustrophobic, you don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> it's like driving with a coffin next to you. Yes. Wow. <laughs> like yeah. you're you're dead. You might yeah. as well, you know, lay down, cross your arms, put some pennies in your eyes, job. and that's it. You're done. There is a guy that just started that business in Ireland of um, motorcycle uh, coffin deliveries for uh, funerals. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So if you're an old biker and um, you want to go that way, he'll take you in the in the sidecar, and it's all glass, so the coffin shows and everything. So, and you were telling me about some of these uh, speeds that you do in, in these sidecars. And we're not talking like the 
racing sidecars that are really low slung where your monkey's hanging off one side you know basically looks like a doorstep off of your <laughs> your your bike no this is like full sidecar and what kind of speeds are you doing with those well when our the sidecar club we got together and we did bonneville one year so we took a 500 750 and a thousand uh to Bonneville, uh, street legal bikes, highly modified with sidecars, with passengers, and we went out there to the Salt Flats and we set all three uh, records uh, for those classes. And our best time was 152 miles an hour both ways with a K100. And this had a passenger and everything in it, and we could ride it home. Well, wow. the passenger, you guys, are you guys getting this? Say, who picked the, who, how do you select the passenger for yeah. that? The smallest one. Yeah, they use a, a straw yeah. system? No, no. The passenger was an 86-year-old great-grandmother. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, she, she was light? or was it, was well, it She was the smallest, lightest person in the, in the club. Well, She'd, and there's already the coffin, right? Jeez, Charlie. Too soon. I'm saying for the crash. <laughs> no, but they, Neil's like, hey, we're going to go do some bingo. You want to come? Hop in the car. <laughs> Just out the other end of this desert. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, no, Teresa was a good sport. Oh, she God. and her husband had a sidecar, and they traveled all over Western United States with us. We had rallies all over Western United States and Canada and Mexico uh, every month, and a big one every year up in Mariposa. So, I, I have a, so we have a listener who's getting a sidecar on a scooter for the first time. If you had a couple of pearls of wisdom to drop to someone new to sidecarring, other than don't do it like Bob's saying. <laughs> yeah, kill yourself now. <laughs> but it's a cool-looking sidecar, and, you know. Well, many years ago, uh, a friend of mine was killed on Highway 17 um, on his Goldwing. But he had a Vespa sidecar with a Vespa, uh, you know, the engine, the sidecar, everything all right from the factory. It was absolutely gorgeous. And there's nothing wrong with sidecars. Just you drive a sidecar, you ride a motorcycle. And you just have to be very aware. You're double wide. You don't have all of the power and pickup that you normally would have. and so Or braking. Just, well, no, that's not true. Uh, you can modify a sidecar. My Ural up here, it has three-wheel brakes and drive and it has reverse so it'll do everything and, and it stops uh, as well as it goes but you know you there are limitations and you have to learn them uh, quickly yep all right now speaking of sidecars i know every time i come here i make you tell the story but can you please tell the story again of the side the bmw in the front window oh with the giant dent in it well, a friend of mine in the sidecar club um, was coming home from adult school about four in the afternoon, and an old man in a 72 Cadillac boat pulled out in front of him, and he was doing about 40, and he impacted the rear wheel of the Cadillac with the front wheel of the motorcycle, and it broke the wheel. You can see there's a one-foot piece broken right out of it. Mm. And... Um, it launched him right through the handlebars and the gauges and the fairing. Broke all of that and threw him down the road about 50 feet. And the impact of the sidecar rig hitting the Cadillac uh, spun it around 
and out of the way so that the sidecar could keep on going straight. And it ran over him and <laughs> broke his pelvis and his legs and ribs <sighs> and crippled him. And uh, so he survived the initial impact and launching down the road, but the sidecar running over him was the coup de grace. Mm. But he survived, and he walks with a cane nowadays, but he walks. So. And it was a... What, what is that kind of sidecar? That that is a Stibe. So if you yes. bought a German rig, you'd get a BMW with a Stibe sidecar. My other uh, sidecar rig there is a Jawa. And in Eastern uh, Europe, that's what you would get in those days. And there's a few others. In the back, I have one from Hungary, a Duna. And uh, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's very uh, cool. Yep. And it's all handmade aluminum. Uh, it's not fiberglass. And the stibes are all steel, and the equaline is fiberglass. And so is the Jawa. And it, it, you could see it was beautifully done, and it's just got a giant dent in it. And you can see where the vetter fairing was cracked, and the, I think the risers are cracked. And, and the, <sighs> the front wheels pushed back and busted the front of the engine case and everything. It, it tells a yeah. story. So it's cool that you have it there as kind of just a... Oh, yeah, I could repair it and restore it and make it look like new, but then you would lose the story. Yeah. And having five sidecars, it's not necessary. And so the story has become more valuable uh, than the sidecar itself. So, Emma, now that you have joined us, say hello. Hello. So um, what I wanted to ask you guys, because we haven't really gotten into this when we've come here, you have this corner of the museum where you have a lift and a whole bunch of tools, and I assume this is where the restoration happens. I wanted to hear from both of you about restoration processes, tools, tricks, tips, favorite well, moments. Let's start with the, how the museum does this. Yeah. When you want to do a restoration, uh, in California, you're very limited by EPA and all of that. Paints, chroming, all types of work that you do on them uh, is not available in California or it can't be done or one thing or another. And so for one person to all by themselves make a, a, a show-worthy restoration is almost impossible. It would take way too long, way too much money. So what I have here is a team of five people that do the restorations. And Emma's in charge of the, the whole thing, so what we do we get a bike in and we assess it then we completely disassemble it all every nut bolt washer and then we have a chromer and a painter and uh, another guy that does gold leafing we have somebody Mm -hmm. else that does painting and um, Emma oversees the whole thing and all the bits and pieces come together and she does all the little handy crafty work in the engine transmissions you know the drivetrain and so it's a, a group effort here at this museum some people do them all on their own but we have a much better uh, handle on it I think with the, with the team so Emma what's what's your favorite tool over there Probably the largest hammer. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone says. It's always the hammer. No, I mean, by definition, British people like hitting things. (laughs) Um, Gosh. Each tool has a very specific purpose. I mean, it's like asking me, which is my favorite child? You know? Um, Each tool has a very, very specific purpose. Um, 
by definition, I define myself as an engine builder. That's how I like to define myself. And I know how to restore bikes, but if you were just to give me a row of engines to build, I'd never be happy. I'm sorry, but that was the wrong answer, Emma. The the answer is your favorite tool is the one that you made. Well, I know how to make tools, (laughs) but... So do you have any tools that you have made to... Not in that corner. I've got a ton in my garage at home. But yeah, I, I give her a for example. No, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. The redwood about. stick snap on tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in our garage, the stick, a two, a, you know, a one by two stick is a very commonly used tool in our a garage. A one by two stick is a very important tool. Um, one of my favorite tools, um, I do a lot of wheel building. Hmm. And there's a very specific tool for wheel building. A lot of people use a wrench. And I don't. I, I approach it from the other end with a screwdriver. But, of course, you can't use a flat screwdriver because the spoke itself comes through the end of the nipple when you're really tightening it down hard. Right. This is turning into pornography pretty quickly. <laughs> um, don't stop now. But taking a $50 snap-on screwdriver and just grinding the hell out of the middle of it so you can get it over that spoke is nice. very satisfying. <laughs> and that's what I use. Excellent. Wait, a, a Phillips you're taking? No, no, no you take... A, um, a flat. If you were to take a tire yeah. off a spoke wheel oh, and take the rim band about. off and mm-hmm. look at the other side of the nipples. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a yeah, flat yeah, yeah. blade. But of course, when you tighten it down, the spoke begins to come through. So of course... So you make a spanner. Yeah, basically. Oh. Yeah. I like that. You got yeah. any more good ones like that? No, I've got a ton of them. I mean, oh. you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, if you've got a wrench that you can't fit in, you just get a torch on it, and then you heat it up and just bend it through 90 degrees, and now it fits, <laughs> you know? And I've, I've got a ton of tools in my garage that are like, oh, yeah, that'll fit a 1967 Norton <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah. And so it's in the corner of my garage just gathering dust until the next 1967 Norton comes by. Yeah, but when you need it, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. There. Oh, yeah. I go straight. I know where everything is. Not. Mm. <laughs> How about you, Neil? Do you have any homemade tools that you love? Uh, yes. It's a 12-ounce scotch glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a dram. <laughs> well, it solves all the problems. <laughs> you know, are there any bikes, Emma, that, that come your way that, as much of an engine builder and, and beautiful bikes you've restored, um, that you look at it and you're like, ooh, I really would not want to have to get into that. Every single one. <laughs> no, and that is the truth. I mean, it, it, every time I see a bike come in, I think, oh, my God, I can't do a thing with that. And you just have to spend a little bit of time with it. And if sometimes when they come in, they're so bad like the Green Norton that everybody loves so much. Mm-hmm. That bike was so bad when it came in. I really didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And the water buffalo was worse. Really? Wow. When I got that water buffalo, um, I bought it from a guy in the Bay Area. And he gave me a shovel. And he said, that pile of rust in the corner <laughs> is your bike. Oh, wow. And I shoveled it into the back of my pickup You're truck. kidding. Because those are two of the most beautiful bikes in here. And both bikes, I spent, I think, the first two weeks thinking, oh, dear God, what have I done? <laughs> um, but then you, you, rather than approach it as a whole, you say, okay, well, 
I'll start with this. And oftentimes it's the most bizarre thing. I'll start like I'll start with the tail light. Mm. And I'll get the tail light just so. Okay, I like the tail light, so now we can work on that. Um but yeah, if you just approach it as a whole, it can be overwhelming. So the best piece of advice I can give somebody who's thinking of restoring a whole bike, if you look at the whole picture, it can be overwhelming. So say, okay, pull the carburetors and just restore the carburetors. Now you've got a bank of nicely restored carburetors. Put them to the side in the garage and work on the next piece and just break it down into little pieces. The other thing I hear from people that, that seem to do restorations really well is go slow. Oh, God, And yeah. when you said yeah. take a little bit of time, you mean what, like two years? It can. Yeah. I mean, the Norton... Two years is fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Norton I actually built in four months. I hold ass on that command. Wow. Um, so on a scale of one to ten, how OCD do you have to be to get it to the level you're doing stuff? Eleven. <laughs> I think that's spinal tap. Didn't spinal tap at number eleven on the 11. amplifiers. But yeah, I mean, you really, and it's a very different mindset because generally I'm not OCD. I mean, if you were to visit my house, there's crap everywhere and shoes on the floor and dirty dishes. But I'm just very, very OCD with bikes. Uh, yeah, I have evidence of that. Um, yeah, that water buffalo, the mirror. Oh God. What's what's missing from that mirror? Drives me crazy every time I see it, Emma. Well, <laughs> I've got okay. <laughs> it drives me crazy every time I see it. So, when I restored that bike, I put genuine Suzuki mirrors on it. But the problem is Suzuki changed the specification of the mirrors over the years, and the original specification back in '74 had a little in embossed S on the back of the mirror, and the current ones don't. So what I've got, what I did, I found an old set of embossed Suzuki mirrors, but of course the glass has gone out of them. So I've, I've had the glass cut, and now I've got to figure out a way of putting the rubber in, um, so I can get the little embossed S back in the mirrors. And yes, yeah, driving me absolutely bananas. Thank you for bringing that up. I love you for that. You are, yeah, you're an amazingly creative person, though. Because is it the, uh, is it one of the Nortons that you used with a dish soap? Chrome no, 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 it's the thermos top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's the Bonneville. That's the 2007 Bonneville. So Triumph came out with this bike in 2001, and it's it's basically the Bonneville. I'm sure a lot of your listeners ride them, and they're a fantastic. I rode one last week for a weekend. How'd you like it? An 05. I, it was, it's a gentleman's bike. Yeah. I, I felt kind of like people were looking at me like, why is he riding it like that, jumping curbs and... Because you know, like, like, I, I kind of immediately knew, like, you know, like this is not one of my like. Do and, not loan your bike to Mike. That's the takeaway here. I, it's just it, it's very solid. Um, it, it and it kind of like it's like my wife's car. It, it's it it's got a lot of power, but it's like it it doesn't jump back on you. I mean, it can, but like everything on it just seemed really solid, and you can't even feel the motor. You can just hear it. Right. So it's a solid, solid bike, and you know, it, it just—I felt like a gentleman riding it, but I didn't. I know I'm not a gentleman, so I could only ride it for the weekend and give it up. You know. So, so Mike, how, how did it handle the stair climb? See, that's what I'm talking about. The back suspension was a little stiff going down the stairs. You know. Well, that's I, a common problem with them. Yeah. Um, and what I was going to say is, like many bikes built now, it's built to a budget. Um, and originally that bike came with some pretty nasty black plastic covers on the back of the speedo and the tag and i thought 
Those have to go. Mm. So these are fuel injectors. They're the carburetors that look, or they're fuel injectors. Yeah, that one of mine injectors. is actually the last of the carburetor, 2008. They fuel injected it. But, they but it just, looks like a carburetor. Yeah, it looks like a carburetor. Yeah. They just took the carb bodies and put the injectors inside. But so the yeah. choke doesn't work on it then? Well, it's... it's um, I'm, I've never ridden a fuel-injected no. one. So. No, because I, I, I looked at it, and the, the choke is, is literally just a knob that's bolted onto the side. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't connect Liars. It doesn't connect to anything. <laughs> hey, 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 it's just a knob that's bolted on. <laughs> no, you just like, you pull it out, and you push it in, and it like makes you feel like you're doing something. I, I was cold. looking for it like actually with a cable or like something like that, but it does not. It's just like We a, traced uh, it to nowhere. Knob. Yeah. It's just, it was like one of those uh, uh, tell-your-own storybooks, but like, you know, you always hit the end after yeah. the next page. <laughs> the other story no I, I liked about your attention you have an eye for things Emma. you really do but tell the story about the was it the bonnie that you got shipped over in the box that you immediately, yeah no that's the same bike oh that you yeah. immediately cut the swing arm off before oh, you even put it together yeah, yeah here, here comes that ocd again yeah so. no it is because well tell the story that's a good well yeah why the, did you cut up a perfectly good bike emma that is a very good question liza <laughs> no that is a really good question and i would love to try and answer it without sounding like a complete nut job <laughs> but when you work on bikes uh, i guess what makes me unusual is i'll obsess over the tiniest detail and i'll spend two hours visiting with a nut and bolt and just doing a number on the nut and bolt but what makes me different is i'll step back and look at what i'm creating i mean over the years i've seen some beautifully built bikes and if you look at the individual parts they're absolutely gorgeous and you step back and they're just butt ugly <laughs> think, what the hell were you thinking and the bonneville as it erupted out of the crater i thought there's something fundamentally wrong with this bike in my head and i'm the first to admit the inside of my head is a very peculiar place <laughs> um but there was just the swing arm just looked too long and once an idea is planted in my head there's just no shifting it so i just had to cut the swing arm i'm sorry let me rephrase that question why did triumph send you a flawed bike <laughs> i've never forgiven them for that. <laughs> i've never forgiven them and i would like to personally say to john bloor you sent me a flawed bike and what did you, you you cut the swing arm by what a couple inches? Just an no. inch, <laughs> one inch, just one inch. It no, might it just be less than an inch. No, it, it might have been three quarters of an inch. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even really measure it. You know, I just cut the cut it out and then cut the same out the other side, so it was fine. It looks good. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, it just popped into my head that it didn't quite look right. Mm. And we're we're making light of it, but would Neil and and Emma, would you say that? working on these old bikes is is like therapy oh god yeah absolutely it, it keeps you sane it keeps me it keeps me beyond sane because i've spent a great deal on bikes over the years and neil spent more yeah but had i not been into bikes my therapy charges would have been astronomical <laughs> motorcycles are cheaper than psychiatrists so, a lot more fun. So, yes. Neil, is it the same for you? Does it keep you sane or does it drive you crazy? No, no. About the same. I think I drive him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob's the one you can't get to. Bob's the one you can't get to shut up over there. So, Bob. Yes. Hey. <laughs> Rippy Dimbo knows the Rimbo. Yeah. <laughs> 
Where'd you come from? I, I come through the window, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. Yeah. Well, it's great. We'd have, I, I came from a totally different place than when I was young, didn't have any money, but I just loved the idea of machines. I uh, rode the little bus for a little while, and the good news was I got off at 11 o'clock, and my mother would make me uh, read the encyclopedia before uh, science fiction theater was on, so... I started with A, automobiles, aerodynamics, that sort of stuff. I wanted an engine, army, you know, anything with an engine. So finally, at, at 13, the Boyle brothers had this uh, old uh, Pooch uh, moped <laughs> sold through Sears that they had absolutely killed, and I gave them $6 for it and <laughs> got it running. <laughs> Wait, got, was it a Pooch, like P-U-C-K, Maxi? Are you no, saying P-U- it wrong? P-U-C-H, yeah. like oh. from Austria. Because I think my mom two speed two Probably. speed moped that they and I learned slow because and incredibly slow <laughs> <laughs> two speeds well and of course I'm reasonably portly so it, it it did not lend itself to a high speed except yeah slow and bit except the thing used to blow a lot of head gaskets and a guy named Tom Hunter who had a, a Vespa GS first one I ever saw nice. uh, took it to the shop at school milled the head. It was almost a reasonably fast now. And so what I did when I sold it, since I was a jock in high school and college, and stuff, I never had any money. So I flipped that, then I flipped the Jawa, and then I found a Vespa that was broken. Flipped that and flip, flip. So I've owned about 200 of them in my life. Wow. And so that's, that's how, and so going with those goes a lot of stories. I mean, obviously I was really into bikes, so guys wanted me to fix this, and I met a couple of these guys, and I happen to have been a charter member of the Soul Brothers Motorcycle Club, the first ever one percenter radical out of East Palo Alto, half black, half white guys and stuff. And actually, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble picturing you in this. I have to, I have to see pictures of this. What was your club name? <laughs> the, the Soul, not the, the Soul Brothers. Soul Brothers. Well, I mean, your name, like within the club, did you have a nickname? No, we didn't. Do, we didn't do that. Every listen, <laughs> half, <laughs> it was a one percenter. They were, hey, you, hey, Bob. What, yeah, <laughs> one of the guy, one of the black guys was a supervisor at HP. I mean, they were regular people, but it was just the first melding of this, and it. it Cool. It, ha- it happened over a race. I was working at a, at, you know, at a Richfield station, and I had taken a lot of money from the guy because I had a Sherpa S. Bull Taco, and, and the owner had an unbelievably custom, beautiful 58 Triumph 650 that chrome everywhere. He, you know, uh, Robin's 12 to 1 piston. This thing hauled bananas, right? But from one telephone pole to the next... Uh, I took a lot of money from this guy. Chrome don't get you home. <laughs> so then a guy named James Heavy Evans, who wound up being, he was heavy, well, he had a nickname. He was our sergeant at arms, like sharecropper when he was young and stuff. He had a sportster called, called a Droopy, was the name of his bike. He had a big cruiser named Miss Lizzie. But this thing, <laughs> Droopy, he pulls in the gas station gas, and it's like this, and... He walks up, he hey, I hear there's somebody around here has got a Triumph. I think you got a fast bike. And you go, yeah, that's me. So they're going to take off, go race. Well, this is back in the, in the, in the mid-60s. You white guy and black guy take off, going over East Palto to go race. He goes, well, if I'm not back in an hour, you know, call my wife, tell her to sell the gas station, you know. They're going to go race. <laughs> they, they come back 20 minutes later, and they are laughing so loud. And, oh, you beat him? Oh, no, that sports to tore me up. And I go, how? And 
So Heavy shows me they had an adjustable Tillotson carburetor. So he blah, 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 and as he dialed in, <laughs> <laughs> so this sheer carburetor he had, this thing was like a rocket ship. That thing went so fast. Wow. But anyway, so as time, if you want the one good story I was going to tell you, yeah, I got really crunched on the Triumph I had paying the water bill. My parents didn't have any money, so they, you know, had the water turn. I had to go pay the water bill. On the way back, I, you know, head-on job on me, so as my mm. head went down and banged on the pavement, I had my helmet on, thank God. When I'm upside down looking backwards, there goes the rear frame section of the motorcycle tumbling down. Mm. Well, they caught the guy and he was drunk and I got a lot of money from it. So I went and bought a brand spanking new Mach 3 Kawasaki. Ooh. It's 1969. Yeah. $1,000.25 out the door at Menlo Psychery. About nice. two weeks later, Freddie, I won't tell you his last name, but just talked to him yesterday, who's on the back. We go have a couple of beers at Big L's Gas Out and he gives me this new thing called mescaline. We do some mescaline. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> a few beers. Well, come on. It's, hey, it's the mid-60s, you know? Okay. Fair so, enough, fair enough. Yeah. So, and we're on 280. But just, it just opened up. Oh, my God. 280 doing about 110 coming down there. And, oh. and just two up. No helmets, nothing. All of a sudden, that front end starts to wiggle, oh, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle man. across all the lanes. And it's everything I got. I mean, my I, I dislocated both thumbs hitting against the gas tank. Oh. <laughs> Finally got slowed down stuff that next Tuesday in the mail. Owners of the Mach 3 Kawasaki's, please <laughs> immediately report to, to get this stupid little damper. <laughs> yeah. saying, don't take acid before you decide to operate. The <laughs> it was not acid. I was. I never wanted to do that until when I got back from Europe. I was working in a pizza parlor, and this girl who lived in a garage and had a parachute in, in there for her room and stuff. <laughs> When it came, I didn't want to go out with her. Sorry, I just didn't. came in and had a coke one day at the pizza parlor, and as she leaves, she goes, "Have a nice trip." Wait a second, oh, is this? No. Hold on, I feel like I feel like we're talking about a Cheech and Chong nice dreams. Is that? No, no. What, oh no, no, no. This was. Uh, sure this wasn't a movie. This was not a movie. All right. And I know because I see I didn't want to go out. I was going out with a nurse up in up San in Francisco. Smoke, no. No, he, Bob's making Ken Kesey look like a punk right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met Ken Kesey. So. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And, and he, he wrote a book called One Through Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yep. You yes, read sir. open the thing. He dedicated to a guy named Vic Lovell who did encounter groups and marathons at the uh, uh, Mid-Peninsula Free University out of Palo Alto. And a buddy of mine and I did an encounter Wait, there. Wasn't he the band of the Misfits, too, that rode around on the bus? It was the Merry Pranksters. Merry Pranksters. Electric Kool-Aid acid test. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I... I finally wised up, did the motorcycle. See, the thing is, it, I was the only one that had a job. It was always my my car, my gas, and my dope. You know? <laughs> so, What's your thing, Jim? Ask, cash, or gas? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Ask, cash, no or gas. No one rides for free. Nobody rides for free. <laughs> so anyway, we just... As fate would have it, because I was a pretty decent mechanic, I wound up with the ultimate mechanics job. I was a chief engineer in a hospital. So let's let's stay with this uh, this theme here, Neil. What's the uh, craziest thing you've done on a bike? Who me? Besides the Himalayas, forty three times. <laughs> well, you see, I'm in the company of Emma, who's a really good builder and just a whiz bang, the smartest person I've ever known, knowing bikes. And crazy Neil has put more time on him and knows how to race. I do everything sort of half-assed. I mean, I, I you know, that's what it, And I thought maybe I could be a racer. So I took my Boltaco Sherpa S down to the Salinas TT track and the sportsman thing. 
And I ended up going around. One guy falls off, and another guy's engine craps out. So, uh, yeah, hey, I'm going to transfer here no matter what. And as they come around the last turn, first two guys pop a little wheeling in, in, in through the guy with this thing. So I pop it and fall off the back of it and slide my butt through the finish. Line. And that guy's waving his checkered flag at me. And I said, you know what? So no, I don't race. So that's it. Neil, how about you? Have you done any crazy, crazy things on a bike? What's, what's a craziest thing? <sighs> I mean, Arctic Circle is pretty crazy, but surely you've got some else. Come on. Well, I did about 180 on the street on my Beamer. Wow. That, what? That was probably not the smartest thing. This is the R75? No, K100. Oh, wait. Is this the one that you modified slightly? Yeah, for Bonneville. And it, how did you modify it? Everything. <laughs> it was a fuel-injected, blown, propane-injected... Uh, thousand cc BMW motor, highly modified frame, brakes, a body, everything on it. You know, just built for speed. It was designed to do 200 miles an hour, and it wouldn't. Uh, so I sold it to the BMW race team out of Idaho. Wow! And they went campaigning with it, and they never did get it over 200 either. So it wasn't me. Was this strictly a straight line bike? Like, how fast can we get this thing going? Oh no, it, I rode it over uh, Highway Nine all the time. Is that right? Oh nice. yeah, but you had to be very gentle. You had to roll it on, roll it off. There was no uh, quick acceleration because it come out from under you. Hundred and eighty is no joke. Either. Yeah, you can't breathe. Yeah, no joke. How about you, Emma? What's the craziest thing you've done? The craziest thing I think I did, and it, it's similar, it involves speed, but nowhere near as much. Back in 90, back in 92, I was working for a Honda dealer um, just outside Birmingham in England. And I know if a lot of your listeners are, are from England, so they'll relate to this. And Honda just brought out a new naked bike called the CB1000 oh, and yeah. it was basically a hurricane engine in you know a pretty handsome package it's got big 18 inch wheels and a lot of black huge gas tank and it was, it was a really good bike and Honda did me a really good deal on one um, so I bought this thing brand new and there was another thing while it was in the crate I was actually caught by the Honda rep soaring the back fender off and he saw <laughs> I hadn't even got it you out of the crate yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, it, it, that one hadn't even gone out of the crate I was already <laughs> chopping the back fender off so um I was reading through some, some literature on it, and he said, this bike will do 153 miles an hour. So I was like, oh, okay, well, let's find out if it does 153 miles an hour. So pretty much within 600 miles, took me a week to do the first 600 miles, and then soon I got some miles on it, I took it to the A38. And the A38 is a two-lane, not a freeway by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's a pretty fast road, and it goes... On the outskirts of Birmingham, going to Tamworth, and I got it up to 153 miles an hour. Well, this is just fine. It runs just fine. Wow. And wow. I blew the head gasket. And um, <laughs> so there's oil and water just peeing all over me. 
and I got Honda to fix it under warranty. Nice. Because nice. I worked at the dealer. I was the one who fixed it. But yeah. they, they paid for it. And I confess, and I'm actually still friends with the area Honda representative now. It's a charming gentleman called Mike Shaw, and I'd love to say hi to Mike. And I know he's in hospice right now and he's suffering from MS, but mm -hmm. he used to tear his hair out with me back then um, <laughs> because I used to do all kinds of unspeakable things to new Hondas and he used to have to clear up the mess. <laughs> and Mike, I'm sorry. I know that I claimed for that head gasket under Honda warranty and uh, I was doing 153 miles an hour on that bike and... It hadn't even done a thousand miles, and I'm very sorry, Mike. Well, well, well you're, op you're operating within the capacity that it said that it could operate. Well, yeah, exactly. You're it's not like you're going 154. Yeah, no, exactly. Go. Had I gone 154, <laughs> you avoided all the warranties. The, the big ends probably would have gone, but uh, Mike, yeah. officially, I'm sorry, mate. I'm I'm sorry for cutting off the back fender while it was still in the crate. And I was telling you, I'm sorry for doing 153 miles an hour, and. Um, yeah. Do you, I, do you feel better now? You know, I feel exonerated, yeah. <laughs> I really feel I've got a weight off my chest. I mean, I've waited 24 years to apologize to Mike, and, you know, I feel he deserves it. Now you get me going. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's an emotional moment. So now i got a question for the three of you. Uh, since you guys have seen a lot of bikes over the years, this is a two-parter. I'd like each of you to tell me, A, what you think is one of the best Swiss Army knives of bikes. A bike that just does a lot of things really well. And I'd like you also to tell me a bike that you think just never should have been made. What were they thinking? You know, real clunker. Do you want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> the problem is with a question like this, we're all very, very different. Yeah. And every single one of us has different requirements of bikes. If I was to say a universal bike for, for everyone, the VFR 750 Honda okay. is a fantastic machine. It's fast as fury. It's comfortable. It handles like it's on rails. With the gear-driven cams, it's actually quite reliable because the early V4 Hondas, oh my God. We're talking like 90s era? Yeah. Yeah. Early 90s. You know, right up to the VFR 800s, the injected ones, they're just damn good bikes. They do everything. And I should like to also point out, I have never owned one, <laughs> which is why I give you that caveat that, um, you know, it's it, different bikes for everybody. It, it doesn't float my boat. I like old two-strokes. Um, my favorite bike still that water buffalo I absolutely adore that thing but as a great all-round bike which is what I think you're getting yeah. at that VFR takes a hell of a lot of beating yeah. very good and how about a clunker <sighs> a what were they thinking bike you know that's a tough one because inevitably there's going to be somebody out there who's listening to this who owns one and I've got to actually own just running it down and saying it's a horrible, horrible <laughs> bike. <sighs> it's your VFR? That's the VFR. Look, that is such a great That's looking. a good looking bike. Yeah, no, it's, I'm not saying that's the worst one. I'm just looking at a picture yeah. of one. That's probably, I would say that's from about mid-90s. It's got the single-sided swing arm. That's a really good looking bike. Mm -hmm. um, and they do everything so well. Worst bike. 
I'm going to stick my neck out here. Okay. Because it's a manufacturer who should have known better. Honda 500 Twin was an awful bike. The CB500? CB500T, and I apologize for it. You know, it came from the, the 450, the Black Bomber, and it should have been a great bike. And it was just a turd in every way, shape, or form. You don't have to apologize Uh, for them. Sometimes they rush production. Yeah, and, you know, there's just something fundamentally wrong with that bike. Um, They never ran right. The styling was super janky. That would explain why you just don't see those very often. Yeah, you you know. 350, 360, 450, 550. And these are great bikes, but the 500, there was just... And and the reason I'm bringing it up, it's not just it's a bad bike. In the big scheme of things, I mean, compared to a lot of Eastern European bikes, it's a good bike. But Honda should have known better. Excellent. How about you, Neil? You know, it's very difficult. You know, I've been through a lot of them. And um, probably one of the best motorcycles I ever owned was a 1968 Yamaha DT1. It was the first actual uh, dirt bike, road bike, what we, you know, we called it an enduro. It would be a dual sport today. It's a two-stroke? Two-stroke, 250, five-speed, oil-injected. So in 1968, a friend of mine that owned the Triumph shop in Santa Cruz uh, wanted to take on uh, Yamahas. And so to help him and myself out, I bought 12 Yamaha DT1s in the crate. And they delivered them two or three at a time. And we had uh, 22 fire stations in San Jose. And a lot of my friends all rode motorcycles. And so I went around to every fire station. And I sold 11 of the 12 motorcycles. Made $100 profit on each one of them. You're like a Girl Scout or something. (laughs) (laughs) So that paid for my motorcycle. And so I got the DT1 Enduro. Plus, I got the Git Kit, which made it into a Scrambler or a motocross. And I got the rear rack and a few other accessories. And I rode that bike for years. And I rode it to Mexico. I rode it. So, in those days, we didn't know any better. Uh, A 250 uh, dirt bike with stiff suspension and all that. Uh, Nobody would even think of trying to do that today, but... I rode it up and down Highway 1, down to Mexico. I used to leave the firehouse when I got off duty for my five-day-at-a-time with all my camping and fishing gear, and I would ride it over Sonora Pass down into the backside of Mono Lake to the Gold Lakes Basin and go fly fishing down there for four or five days camping, and it hauled everything that I wanted or needed, and it would hold enough oil in the injector that all I had to do was put gas in it, and it would cruise at 50 and 60 miles an hour very efficiently. So Uh, no side-of-the-road top-end builds? No? It never failed. Wow. I never had a problem with it. And I rode Enduros with it. Um, I did some scrambles. Uh, not very competitive because it was heavy and um, lower on power. But that bike did everything. It cruised. It did the dirt. Uh, it did every day. Um, always started uh, first or second kick. 
It's Kickstarter, no electrics, and uh, very reliable and a very good-looking bike. And today, they, you know, have quadrupled in price. Yeah. So I've got two of them over here mm-hmm. in the museum. Uh, beautiful, too. Yeah. yeah. But they are uh, 1970s. They didn't change much. I've also got a uh, 69. But that uh, that 68, the very first year, the pearl white one, was probably by far one of my favorite bikes. Others uh, had very nice uh, attributes that I really enjoyed, and that. But none of them did everything all the time, every time. And all right, how about the clunker? Uh, I have a list that's way too long. <laughs> yeah. Next time around, I'll pick out the worst of the worst. Oh, come on! Just throw something out there on the chopping block. <laughs> the sacrificial lamb. Uh, you know, I really don't have one that um, that fits that. You just love them too much, don't you? Yeah, you know. <laughs> There's no such thing. They all have a purpose or a use or meaning, and um, I can't just browbeat one particular bike. All right, all right. All right, Bob, how about you? Well, obviously, you've never ridden a Cushman's. Anyway. <laughs> uh, actually, my favorite would be a 700 SC Honda. Oh, that's a, it's a Nighthawk? I'm sorry, what? No, it actually Wait, the was not the Nighthawk, but they kind of turned it into it a bit. It, But, it, you know, the years, they made two, three, four years. Shaft drive? They got in a beef with uh, Harley Davidson, uh, you know, leaned on them so they couldn't oh, have right. the 750. Remember back? And, they mm-hmm. did, and it was a shaft drive, and it was a pretty much upright bike that I had. And it, uh, you know, I got it, of course, it was, you know, a pile of junk and got it going stuff. But it had plenty of power. You could turn it into, a, you know, more of a, of a track or a, a sport bike easy enough. It was comfortable enough to where you could cruise it a little bit. It was just a great bike. I loved it. And why I sold it, I have no idea. And on the bottom of the list, without a doubt, would be the 125cc distributed through Sears, the 125 Twingle. (laughs) (laughs) They had two, two pistons in one combustion chamber. Yep. Okay. And they just kind of did like a Harley, but they were uh, like this. And it absolutely had the worst transmission, the worst clutch, the worst. And the 125 didn't go for beans. And the choke was just a little plate that would rotate on the carburetor sitting there. It was just a bite. But then again, I was the vice president of the Cushman Club of California for about <laughs> eight years. And even when they went to the AMF engine, they were still a absolute train wreck so that's my do you know there is a bike that is actually universally recognized as the worst bike in the world and it 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 has some infamy particularly in europe is it a uh, wait a minute is it a harley no 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 because italy amf harleys were Uh, dreadful bikes but they were extremely handsome so the redeeming feature was their looks i mean i will step up to the plate and say amf harleys were just amazing looking bikes better than the aromachis (laughs) (laughs) however (laughs) the worst bike in the world yeah. And this is official. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you state this, I want you to give us some clues so we can try and guess it. 
Give it, come on, let us try. Well, I don't even know whether it was sold in America. Well, so I may be, so, uh, you know, I may be sending you up the wrong path. Is okay. the manufacturer still in business? <clears throat> yes. So, Bob and Neil, do you know what she's getting at? Or do you want to guess with us? Probably not. Because no right. idea. All right, let's, let's play, let's, let's play a round of 20 questions. Okay. <laughs> is, it, is it a European bike? No. Oh. East, Eastern, Eastern European. Czechoslovakian, maybe? Strictly yeah. speaking, it's not Eastern European. Oh. Is it <clears throat> Russian? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, um, that narrows it down significantly. All of them. Is it, all is of them. it, is it, is it a Dnipro? Correct manufacturer, wrong model. Oh. oh. And Ural? No, it's a different. That's a different company, though, right? Yeah, um, the, the, it's it, it's actually manufactured by a by Cossack. Uh huh. Cossack. All right. Yeah, yeah I would never have wow. guessed this. <laughs> it's a horse. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is it? Way back in the 1960s, Cossack came out with this thing called um, the Cossack Voskhod 175. Huh. And it was generally considered the worst bike in the world. Wow. We are talking oval brake drums. Uh, <laughs> we are t- uh, we're talking 175, probably six or seven horsepower on a good day. Wow. Just nasty, nasty, nasty bike. I sincerely hope you can find a picture of one because it's. I'm trying. Now. It is like nothing you have ever seen. They came with a sidecar, so, Neil. I want to see Neil. Do yeah, you- they did come with a sidecar, which was equally nasty. Um, I vividly remember a friend bought one brand new in 1978 and cut two of his fingers incredibly badly on a very sharp edge on the side panel when he oh, was riding it home. Geez. So it was. Dangerous in more ways than one. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> I rode it once. Once was enough. Yeah. And it, as far as I'm aware, it retains its crown as the worst bike in the world. Neil, would you agree, or do you think it just didn't get enough love? <laughs> <laughs> well, like they say, you can't make a silk, silk purse out of a sow's ear. True. I think Cushman yeah. bought them out. Uh, <laughs> you just keep looking time. for ways to throw Cushman under yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I had an 81-year-old, and that was a real dog. Mm. It was so bad and so unreliable, I had to jerk the engine out and put an R90 BMW in it. <laughs> oh. I believe that. Euros don't get the love. So, um... I think Bagel's got some scooter questions. So Bagel is our scooter specialist. Yeah, I've, well, I've, we brought him just for this. All, all about scooters. I've been riding scooters for nearly twenty-five years now. Um, so Neil, have, have you ever owned any scooters? About a dozen. Okay. Any? What, what kinds have you had? Well, they're all right here. <laughs> oh, okay, just the ones in the back. Yes. Well, a couple of I did go through the dreaded Cushman that Bob was talking about. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, now this was back in the 50s. It was a 54 Cushman, and it was the one with the big boxy frame on it or the yep. body on it. Turtleback. Yeah. Very ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know. And ran when, like that too, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I was 12 or so, but it was the greatest thing in the world at that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that age, you love something like that. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> we were taking lawnmower engines and putting them on go-karts. Yep, yep. And, uh, Bob, you said that you owned a couple scooters, right? Um, Pro- probably 50 to 
maybe 70. Wow. <laughs> over time. Wow. And there was one in particular that you told me about. Oh, my GS? Yeah. Yeah. $50 for a GS that I got from a Stanford student whose parents obviously had bought it new. And, uh, yeah. and the dreaded little, at the time, five cent little uh, fuel diverter uh, gasket thing had gone bad. So <laughs> yeah. you had to push it halfway down the block to start it. So, yeah. Wow. Actually, where I got the 50 bucks is, is probably the better story. Though. Oh, how was that? Oh, well, no. you see, I was, you know, you wouldn't know it now, but I was a pretty good football player, so I was all a bunch of stuff and getting ready to go to college. And Stanford was uh, studying quick-twitch muscles back then, huh. so they got a whole bunch of us from the All-Central Coast team and said, hey, for 50 bucks, come on, we're going to do some testing. So we went into the psychology place, and they took a great big number 10 coring needle and nailed us right in our quadriceps femoris muscle. Ooh. Then they would exercise us to exhaustion, and then nail them again and they were comparing the two cores to see what these muscles oh, look like and geez. what was going on and they gave us 50 bucks for it so I, oh, wow. when it was all done my buddy and I limped over you know I answered an ad and some Jeez. guy in the dorm had this old Vespa so we pushed it got it started and I took it home and so <laughs> wow but you know there's a common denominator that binds me and Bob aside from the love of old bikes mm -hmm. is we both grow up dirt poor mm -hmm. and that's how i started on bikes because if if, if i wanted to go out and have some fun mm -hmm. i needed to learn how to fix bikes very very quickly yeah no um, doubt so um you know europeans have always had a slightly different relationship with motorcycles than than america america has primarily been a um leisure pursuit but yeah. a lot more people commute on bikes in britain particularly back then oh yeah and still do today right sure yeah. Now, Emma, have you owned any scooters uh, growing up in, in Britain? You know, I've never really done the scooter thing. Um, you're you're all, always a, well, you know, you're always a rocker. Not even when uh, Honda, when know. Honda came out with their step through uh, and all that. When I worked for Honda, you know, we had to ride test ride all the mopeds. Um, but way back in the seventies, I had a very good friend called Tracy, and Tracy was in every sense of the word a mod you know he mm -hmm. wore the mod clothes and he had um a, a lambretta actually not a, not oh, a yeah. vespa yeah and of course even back then i was a biker so it was all about big boots and black leather mm -hmm. and occasionally i had a i had a triumph bonneville uh and if it ever didn't start i'd borrow tracy's scooter and go off to the pub on it nice and mm -hmm. yeah you know but that was about the limit of my, my i've never actually owned a scooter okay it was your cafe racer scooter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they scare the piss out of me, personally. What's those little wheels? I know. <laughs> but actually, my, my theory is that it's not so much the little wheels as it's the short wheelbase. Because it's the short, it's the short wheelbase that makes it so, so twitchy right. in the handling. But the cantilevernous of Vespa... Mm -hmm. compensates for that and it has the same driving characteristics of one that's a little bit longer and that's how the gs got to uh, be freeway legal back in the day really that's what hmm. they told me anyway interesting by the way if you ever get a chance go to the vespa factory in piaggio and learn I the history of intend it. to yes absolutely it's worth it believe me yeah i've seen lots of pictures from people i know who've gone there <laughs> Well, I think we're starting to wrap up. I want to thank you all for letting us come and do this and for being here. 
I would like to reserve the right to do it once again, if you'll have us, because I know there's so many more stories to go. Nothing would make me happier. In fact, I will say officially, at some stage in the next few weeks, I'm actually going to come up to Santa Cruz. <gasps> no, so. don't tease. Absolutely. Don't tease. No, I will. I promise. I'll, I'll, I'll come up to Santa Cruz, and I'd love to do the show with you guys, because there are a little pet project of mine has always been women who ride motorcycles, especially badass women who mm. ride motorcycles. Excellent. And there are a couple of people I would like to talk about. Oh, good. So, um, we like those cool. stories. Well, that would be for the next time. I might have something for you, too. I would love that. I'll talk to you about a little uh, all-female trip I'm putting together. Sounds good. See if you're up for that. Come here. So, especially um, if you have a wrestling background, though. This, uh... <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, this is your opportunity to plug this museum. Um, When are you here? What does it cost? You know, why should people come here? Well, we're open every Saturday and Sunday and holidays, noon to five. I open up the museum for people from out of town that don't have the opportunity to be here any other day than weekdays, and we work all of that out through the local newspaper office and get access to the museum form, and it's free. Uh, people make donations to help pay for the PG&E bill and the water bill and that type of thing, but I consider it a, a non-profit educational museum and a way of sharing uh, all of these beautiful motorcycles, which are sculpture pieces mm-hmm. with everybody, and um, the history of them and all of that, and everything that goes with the motorcycle uh, community, the shows, the acquisitions, the selling, trading, uh, Sunday morning breakfast rides, uh, all of that type of stuff. And how can people find find you on the interweb? Well, they can go to oldgeezersatlarge.com, and that's our website, and or 305 Forest Avenue uh, in PG. We're right across from City Hall, the big old, uh, oh, I don't know what you would call that color. It's somewhere around red, rose, pink, blown together, (laughs) and um, everybody's welcome. What, and one thing I love about coming here is you have these great, just like rocking chairs and a couch. And this, I try and tell everyone, this is not just to come walk through and leave. This is a take some time, talk talk to the old geezers <coughs> here. And sorry, I had to throw you in there. No, no, that's fine. Because it's the stories, it's the history, it's the culture. There's a story behind every single thing hanging in right. here. Everything. Including us. And the, the point I want to make is we're the real deal. You know, you're not coming into a museum and meeting with people who have just had a short interest in motorcycles and they're going to show you around. If you come and visit in the museum, I might be wearing a dress and heels on that particular day, but I was immersed and still am in motorcycle culture since the 70s. Bob and Neil from the 60s. So we're as authentic as the bikes in here. Mm. Come and get the stories. Dive in. It's fantastic. I promise anyone who comes and visits, you'll get the warmest welcome. I will answer any question for you. And there are so many stories to share. There's even a plate of cookies out. 
Always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. So thanks again for having us, and we definitely want to come back here again. This is just such a an amazing place. I just feel bad it took me so long to find out about it. I, I was hearing stories about some crazy old guy with all these motorcycles in PG, and I finally, finally ventured out here and found it. It's like, oh, this is such a treasure trove. It's just another one of the things that we love about where we live here in California. We have, we're have we so rich in the motorcycle culture, and this is just another thing making it even more special. It's a true hidden gem. If you're coming down to Monterey, especially from out of town, definitely go to the aquarium, but definitely come here, too. This right. yeah. From the moment we yeah. came, when we first, first time I met Emma, in a dress and heels, and she's sitting <laughs> on the couch, la-da-da, <laughs> And we're looking at the water buffalo. And next thing you know, she's just educating us like never before about all these oh, cool things. Yeah. And we just scratched the surface on the motorcycles that are in here. But if you talk about history and, and transitions from one era of motorcycles to another era of motorcycles and people that know how to talk and tell stories about it, this place is great. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much for having us. You here. know, it's, yeah. it's, anybody want to try and do the Huelhauser thing? You know, because at this point it's saying this is California gold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, thank you, Neil, for for having this here and opening your collection to everyone, and just sharing it with everyone. It's pretty special, and I think some of these might even be for sale. Yes, I've got a couple that are too yeah. new or modern uh, for the museum, as we want to call it a classic museum. So they're up on the trading block. Nice, and we'll be looking for you at the Quail Lodge too. We'll be at the Quail. We'll be at the Clubman Show. Uh, we'll be at Bikes on the Bay. And also, uh, I just got the flyers for uh, Dream Machines up in Half Moon Bay, cool. which is a very yeah. interesting uh, outing. Oh, yeah. Everything from helicopters to military tanks to motorcycles to what have you. Yes, Bagel and I recently had the opportunity to fly to Half Moon Bay, and, and uh, we actually we got to fly. Like, they let us fly. It was so yeah, cool. That's fantastic. <laughs> that was very cool. I know. It was a lot of fun. But I was looking down on, as we're coming down landing, I'm like, oh, yeah, Dream Machines. I haven't been in a while. They do the, you, I guess you call them unicycle races, mm-hmm. where it's like half a motorcycle with a sled behind it, <laughs> and then it's a drag race on grass with no steering. Wow. It's just like the rear wheel and a th- and the handlebars welded to the frame where the yeah. tank was and then a sled behind and they just and just try and keep it in a straight line. It's insane. That's what I was talking about for our chariot races if we should do something know, like that. I know. So yeah. we'll be looking for you guys there and uh, I hope people will come down and check this out. So on that note, um, I think we're ready to get out of here. I wanted to uh say goodbye to charlie and ryan and mike and mary who had to split out in the middle of this um they got to miss some of the stories but uh you know if you want to call us and tell us about your great stories out there or if you have a place like this and you want to share that with the world why don't you call or leave a message for us or email us and let us know and this is how you do it you can find us online at MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com, on Facebook at Recycle Santa Cruz. Send us an email at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 831-291-5112. Are you impressed, Emma? I'm incredibly impressed. <laughs> and what is more impressive, when this show is actually broadcast tomorrow night? Yeah. 
I'm going to be drunk. I'll have already drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so will we. <laughs> so will we. Nice. I think we're ready to get out of here. I am Zach. Naked Jim. Bagel. This is Liza. And this is Emma. Neil. <laughs> and Bob with two O's. <laughs> <laughs> and we are out of here. Cool. cool. All right. Goodbye, everyone. You're mescaline, Bob, from now on. <laughs> <laughs>